Welcome back to another edition of Viper Bites here as we continue on our training camp series here. Before we go any further, hey, we're hitting the AFC self. We've already talked AFC West, AFC North, AFC East. We've gone through it all right now. It's time to turn our attention to the Tennessee Titans, Jacksonville Jaguars, Houston Texans, and the Indianapolis Colts. But before we do, make sure to turn your attention to Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, rank and review us. Give us a thumbs up. Subscribe right now on the Vipers Network. If you're looking out for a bang for your buck when it comes to fantasy analysis here, head to fantasypoints.com, enter promo code VIPERS22, and get yourself 10% off that subscription today. If you don't have that subscription, you're already playing from behind. Now let's get into a team that played from behind plenty last year, and that is the Houston Texans. If I was to write the story of the 2021 Houston Texans, it basically would come down to it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be. Sure, they finished 4-13, and but that was good enough not to be dead last in the division. Thank you, Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, they would end up going 3-3 three and three in that division last season. So looking at the Texans' four wins, two of those came against the Jaguars. The other two, they came against the Tennessee Titans and the Los Angeles Chargers. Houston had one of the stronger drafts this past offseason here back in April. And while they aren't quite ready to contend for the division or the playoffs, or even a top 10 pick right now, they should be even more competitive in 2022. Thanks in part to Davis Mills, the future quarterback of the Texans. Probably not, but let's give the man his due. Is he a quarterback that's going to start 2022? Absolutely. Look, the numbers weren't terrible. He threw for 2,664 yards, 16 touchdowns, completed 66.8% of his attempts. That's including games that he didn't start. In the 11 games that he did start, he threw for 68% for that completion percentage, which would have been the best all-time by a rookie. Outside of Brandon Cooks, there weren't any options to throw the ball to. Now, Mills and Tyrod Taylor were expected to navigate the season after Deshaun Watson news broke, and for the most part, they did a good job of it. Watson, he's officially gone. Mills now have the opportunity to prove to Texans management that they don't necessarily need to spend a high pick on a quarterback next season. Behind Mills, like I said, Tyrod Taylor, he's gone. He's off to the New York Giants. Now you have Kyle Allen. Jeff Driscoll and Kevin Hogan all vying for the backup duties for the Texans. Allen threw 19 passes, completed 12 of them for 120, 120 yards over two games for the Commanders last season. Allen's last significant stint under center was way back in 2019 with the Carolina Panthers, in which he started 12 games, completed 62.9% of his passes, 3,322 yards. Allen obviously has the inside track of the QB2 status here. But can Jeff Driscoll or even Kevin Hogan show enough value in camp to even make this a competition? Probably not. One fun development here to watch throughout camp is who will emerge as the top option in this run game for the Texans. Houston not only got 1,422 rushing yards last season, which was not good. Marlon Mack, he got signed in the offseason away from the Indianapolis Colts. He has now had a full season now to recover from his ruptured Achilles, Rex Burkhead actually led this team in rushing a season ago. And then there's a fourth-round pick there out of Florida that the Texans seem to be high on, and that's Damian Pierce. Houston deployed its fair share of backs last season prior to finally settling in on Rex Burkhead, who basically took that role back on November 21st. We saw David Johnson. We saw Mark Ingram start the season off, seeing a majority of stats. We've also seen a little bit of Philip Lindsay, a little Royce Freeman get some touches. Ingram is now a Saint. Lindsay is now a Colt. David Johnson. 
He's still unemployed. <laughs> More is going to be needed out of this Texans backfield than what they got last season. 3.5 yards per carry. That's what they got out of Burkhead, which was the best among any of the running backs that they had. If Marlon Mack can return to that 2019 form, and that's a big if right now, the Texans can turn this run game around. Back in 2019, Marlon Mack, he broke a 1,000-yard mark while averaging 4.4 yards per carry. Damian Pierce, he's like a little ball of hate out there, man. He will be looking to bring that college energy and hopefully kickstart this run game that averaged a league-worst 3.4 yards per carry. Pierce finished with 13 rushing touchdowns and averaged 5.7 yards per carry his senior season at Florida. That's certainly one way to help get an offense going. Now, Pierce also proved that he can catch the ball out of the backfield, creating mismatches on linebackers. While Pierce was used sparingly during his time at Florida, the efficiency that he showed with 329 carries, 1,806 yards, 23 touchdowns, adding 422 more yards on 45 receptions and five touches, this could give him the edge over Marlon Mack heading out of camp before it concludes. Now, is there a more underrated receiver in the National Football League than Brandon Cooks? He unfairly gets an injury designation pro, uh, prone label there attached to him. Look, everyone is one hit away from having their career shortened. Yeah, and yes, Cooks had some head injuries that are a real concern here, but Cooks has played 113 of his last 117 games. That means he's been in the lineup 97% of the time over the last 117 games. Last season, Cooks led the Texans with 90 receptions, 134 targets. 1,037 yards and six touchdowns. And that's with a combination of Tyrod Taylor and rookie Davis Mills under center. In six of Cook's last seven seasons, he has finished more than 1,000 yards receiving, and that covers his time with the Saints, the Patriots, the Rams, and, yes, the Texans. Look at what he did last season. 24.5% was his target share. 67.2% catch rate. The guy can flat out ball. Let's put some respect on Brandon Cook's name, will ya? So we know Cooks, he has a real chance this season to see even more targets, maybe even 150. But who will be Mills' next target? Will it be Nico Collins, who finished last season second to Cooks in targets, receptions, and yards? Collins also averaged 13.5 yards per reception. And many analysts kind of have him penciled in as an under-the-radar potential breakout candidate in 2021. Or will it take half a season? We find out it's John Michi, who is recovering from that ACL tear that he suffered way back in January. This Texans offense, it's not as bad as what many are putting it out to be, right? When you have Cooks, you have Collins, and you have Michi, that is a formidable trio. It's not a great trio by any stretch of anyone's imagination, but it's a trio that can get the job done. Then at tight end, you have Brevin Jordan, who finally got that invite to the tight end university. You know, the cool tight end club hosted by Greg Olson, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. So maybe they know something the rest of us don't know. You know me, uh, Brevin Jordan has always been on my dynasty mustache kind of series. I love himself. Now, down the stretch, weeks 12 through 16, Jordan will haul in 13 of 18 targets, producing 112 yards, along with multiple scores. Jordan's potential is never going to be in question. We see a big, strong, athletic tight end that can produce in college. Now it's time for him to take the next step in that evolution here. Behind Jordan, you have Farrell Brown, you have Anthony LeClaire. Neither one of them is a threat to any of the targets that Brevin Jordan is going to get that target share at the tight end position belongs to Brevin Jordan. Now ranking near the bottom of every statistical defensive category last season, you were going to find the Texans. So what did they go out and do? They went out there and they attacked the secondary. Derek Stingley, third overall. Jalen Petrie, fifth pick of the second round. 
Later, they'd go out and select Christian Harris out of Alabama, a linebacker, in hopes that he could help turn this defense around. Petrie and Stingley, they had in camp already penciled in starters. Christian Harris, he's going to be in a battle there with guys like Christian Kirksey. Can the Texans slide Harris over to the weak side, take maybe a starting job away from Nivelle Hewitt? Keep an eye on that. Now, for the Indianapolis Colts, under Coach Reich and Carson Wentz, the Colts finished 9-8, falling short of the playoffs after losing a must-win game to the Jacksonville Jaguars last season. That loss and missing the playoffs was all Colts brass needed to do. See, to facilitate a trade to move Carson Wentz out of there and back into the NFC East with the Washington Commanders. Now, let me start by saying you can't quite blame the entire season there on Carson Wentz. He wasn't terrible. He threw for 27 touchdowns. He threw for over 3,500 yards. He protected the ball only getting picked off seven times on 516 attempts, except when it mattered the most, Wentz could not get the job done. Enter the 2016 NFL MVP, Matt Ryan. Once the Falcons got caught with their hand in the cookie jar, in the Deshaun Watson cookie jar, it was only a matter of time before Matt Ryan was dealt, and the Colts, they couldn't be happier. So the question here is, do the Colts continue to ride Jonathan Taylor in the run game while using Ryan sparingly, much like they did for Carson Wentz, or do they trust Matty Ice a little bit more in this offense that finished 26th in passing yards? If the Colts want to pass more in 2022, they need Ryan to be the first quarterback since Andrew Luck in 2018 to have a passing percentage greater than 60%, something neither Carson Wentz nor Phillip Rivers were able to accomplish during their stays. Okay, the real reason they traded Carson Wentz, they really wanted to sign Nick Foles and didn't want to do Wentz dirty. Okay, the real reason the Colts signed Nick Foles is they didn't want to do themselves dirty to have Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback. When you have a running back like Jonathan Taylor, do you need any more depth? Over 1,800 yards on the ground, 18 rushing touchdowns, 20 receiving Uh, two more on the receiving end for 20 total, 5.5 yards per carry on 332 attempts. No other Colt had more than 60 carries, and that's unlikely to change. Fun fact, if you add Taylor's rushing TDs to his first down total, you get 106 combined. That is 41 more than the next closest player who happened to be Antonio Gibson. Now, Taylor, he can catch the ball out of the backfield. We saw this. He, along with Naheem Hines, each had 40 receptions for the Colts in 2021. If you are into coach speak, here's all you need to know about Hines for this year. If I was a fantasy owner, if I was going to be in a fantasy league, I'd pick Naeem this year. I think about drafting Naeem. I think it's worth considering drafting him. And this is coming from the head coach, quote unquote. After Taylor and Hines, things are not as clear cut. Indianapolis, hey, they brought over Philip Lindsay. They got Tyson Williams. By the way, we see what Tyson Williams did with Baltimore last year via free agency. They added a couple rookie backs there, Devontae Price, C.J. Vertle. Oh, and second year back there, Deion Jackson. He remains. The Colts essentially used three backs last season, making it appear as though Tyson Williams is nothing more than a camp body at this point. Price, Jackson, Vertle all have exceptional skills and will get an opportunity early in camp. But if they don't show anything, there could just as easily be buried on this depth chart or cut themselves. Look for Lindsay to claim the third spot on the depth chart with the Colts holding on to one of the other younger backs. That back will have to be the one that's willing to contribute on special teams. At the wide receiver position, can Michael Pittman establish himself as one of the premier receivers in the game? Of the 3,361 passing yards the Colts accumulated a season ago, Pittman was directly responsible for 1,082 of them, which adds up to about 32%. Further to that, 
Only 10 other receivers finished with more than 30% of their team's air yards and 25% or more of their team's targets. Maybe Pittman can be Matt Ryan's Julio Jones in Indiana and justify that wide receiver 12 that we're currently seeing Pittman going off as. Across from Pittman, will it be the rookie out of Cincinnati, Alec Pierce, who gives Ryan a big target to throw the ball up to? Not only is Pierce big at six foot three, he also possesses a 40 and a half inch vertical and can run a 44140. Uh, Pierce can stretch the field, he can track the ball with ease, and Ryan is going to love that. After Pittman and Pierce, it comes down to Paris Campbell staying healthy. Gone is Zach Pascal. He's gone to the Eagles. T.Y. Hilton, he still remains as a free agent. The other options in Indianapolis, Mike Strachan, Ashton Doolin, Kiki Kuti. Since being drafted back in 2019, Campbell has only played in 15 games. Not even a full season worth. Going back to 2019, he hasn't even played 16 games. He hasn't played 16 games. He hasn't even accumulated enough for one season. He's also only seen 53 targets, turning those into 34 receptions for 360 yards. If Campbell is healthy and history doesn't favor the young pass catcher, it's his spot in the slot. If he can't stay healthy, look for Kiki Kuti to take advantage of that. Jack Doyle, he's retired, opening up all kinds of competition at the tight end position here. Moelle Cox, he's still there. Last season, he saw 45 targets, catching 24 of them along with four touchdowns. Hey, did you know Ellie Cox used to play basketball? Sarcasm. Now, Kyle Granson. He will look to take that second-year jump, averaging 9.6 yards per reception last season. But Jelani Woods will be looking to make some noise here in camp. Woods is a better prospect than Granson ever was, and he may already be better than Ellie Cox. Heck, at six foot seven, 260 pounds, he is a huge target for Matt Ryan in the passing game, especially down near that goal line. During minicamp, Woods was getting some good work in with Nick Foles, and you have to believe he's got a good chance to absorb a solid target share here of those 19 vacated red zone targets and 50%, uh, 57% of the snap share left behind by Jack Doyle. On defense, Darius Leonard was scheduled for back surgery. Why back surgery? Well, he's, well he had an ankle injury because of a calf injury, which they believe was nerve-related, that the nerve happens to be the back. Makes sense if you follow it. I don't. Now, Indianapolis, they're hoping that he's going to be ready in time for camp. Chris Ballard, he always seems to be one step ahead of every single general manager in the National Football League. How he moves pieces eventually to bring in Matt Ryan was masterful. He also did this on the defensive side of the ball. When it comes to getting guys here, Isaiah Rogers, he proved last season that he could start at corner in this league, thus making Rocky Sin expendable. Once the Raiders added Chandler Jones, the opportunistic Ballard struck again, shipping Yassin to Vegas for pass rusher Yannick Nagaku there to pair him alongside with Quidi Pei. So this gives the Pats one of the more formidable pass rushers here in the National Football League. And then you add in a guy named Steven Gilmore to the secondary who's done some things here from time to time. Now, in Duval County, the Jacksonville Jaguars will certainly be looking to improve on that 3-13 and record from a season ago. Their points for ranked 32nd among 32 teams. Their defense allowed the fifth most points against. Bringing Nervin Meyer was an absolutely horrible mistake in management. But they did knock the Colts out of the playoffs the last game of the regular season. So, hey, maybe they can go get a banner for that. Second-year quarterback Trevor Lawrence will look to improve upon his numbers from his, his rookie season. Beyond the numbers, we will get to those momentarily. The way he handled himself on and off the field did not go unnoticed. Look, those numbers, 3,641 passing yards. That ranks 17th at the quarterback position. He completed only 59.6% of his passes. Lawrence will look to improve on the completion percentage and limit those turnovers, tossing 17 interceptions a season ago 
compared to only 12 touchdowns. There will be arms in camp with veteran C.J. Beathard there. Jack Luton still in town. With Beathard, the likely option to mentor Trevor Lawrence's upcoming season. An interesting dynamic to this quarterback room is seeing E.J. Perry and what he can bring to the table. After transferring from Boston College, Perry led the Ivy League with 3,033 yards, 23 touchdowns, while averaging 303 passing yards per game. Of course, you may not recognize him from the combine as a young man who stayed behind and cleaned up the sideline. Actions that certainly did not go unnoticed. What else doesn't get unnoticed is that dynamic they have in the backfield. When James Robinson and Travis Etienne are both healthy, this Jaguars backfield has one of the top running back duos in the entire National Football League. However, Etienne missed the entire 2021 season due to injury. James Robinson ruptured his Achilles late last season. Robinson was averaging 4.7 yards per carry last year on his way to 767 yards on the ground and eight touchdowns. He also added 31 receptions for 222 yards. Those numbers likely would have been better if not been for Myers' incompetence. I mean, Urban Meyer when I say that. Now, Robinson still has not been cleared to practice, but when he does, it will be worth monitoring how many snaps are split between him and Etienne and how that kind of factors in. Etienne, he's coming into camp 100% healthy and back with his former college teammate there in Trevor Lawrence. Etienne will look to separate himself from James Robinson while Robinson continues his re uh, rehab there. Right now, I have Robinson and Etienne splitting carries if Robinson is able to come back and be the Robinson uh, we've seen. If not, Etienne heads in this camp as the clear-cut number one guy that definitely puts himself in a position to see a majority of that workload and possibly get himself into the top 12 conversation for fantasy running backs. Battling for the third spot on this depth chart may be important. Is Raquel Armstead ready to return to action? Can Snoop Connor come in and play second fiddle in Robinson's absence? Is Makai Sargent a Jaguar or just a Jag? Is the third running back on this roster even rosterable for your fantasy squads? Probably not, but hey, it's a fun thing to take a look at. A season ago, the top three targets on the Jaguars roster were Marvin Jones, 120, LaVisca Chanel's 100, and Laquan Treadwell's 51. With only Jones going over 800 yards receiving, Wisely, the Jags added some pass catchers. Unwisely, they spent a ton of money in doing so, especially when it comes to acquiring their top target there in Christian Kirk. Sure, the receiver market boomed as the ink was drawing on Kirk's deal. Only $37 million is guaranteed. But when you get paid as a wide receiver one, you need to perform. Well, Kirk led Arizona last season in receptions, 77 targets, 103, and yards, 982. The fact remains, in four seasons, he has never had a 1,000-yard season. And until Kirk puts up 1,000 yards receiving, he's just going to be considered what he is, Christian Kirk. I don't care if you've learned behind DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green, Larry Fitzgerald. This is the season that Kirk needs to put the numbers up. Now, it seems weird to even consider him a bust before he even plays a game, but when you get that big contract, people are going to automatically put that on you if you've never produced at this level. I think Christian Kirk is going to give you back some good value this season. Maybe not prove to be that guaranteed kind of money guy, but he's certainly going to have himself a pretty solid season. I think he's going to 1,000 yards, maybe another 90 receptions is definitely where you can see Kirk fitting in there. It will be imperative, though, for Trevor Lawrence, Kirk, and Zay Jones. Yes, Zay Jones to get on the same page early on in camp. We know Marvin Jones. He's as reliable as any receiver in this game, and he's going to make a great second option to Christian Kirk. Maybe. Or else Marvin Jones is somehow going to be the number one receiver, and Christian Kirk, you know what? 
Let's hope that doesn't happen. I mentioned Zay Jones. It's interesting because he's going to battle with LaVisca Cheneau to get reps early in camp. If Jacksonville was, uh, if they were comfortable with Cheneau, you wouldn't think they would have gone out there and added Kirk Jones and even Evan Ingram. Worth noting, Laquan Treadwell, he's still around. And so too is Jamal Agnew, who made some pretty big plays down the stretch for the Jags last season. Let's look at some tight end numbers as they pertain to Doug Peterson and his play calling. Historically, Peterson loves himself some two tight end sets. Philly, Philly, Philly special. As the play caller in Philadelphia, his tight end room never finished any lower than third in fantasy points or yards. That should be good things for Evan Ingram and Dan Arnold. By the way, Evan Ingram, we're getting you here in a second. Arnold joined the Jaguars midseason, coming over for Carolina in seven games with the Jags. Arnold saw 41 targets, catching 28 of them, but failing to find the end zone. Then again, Lawrence only had 12 touchdowns, so they were pretty tough to come by. As for Ingram, he has failed to live up to his expectations. After a 115-target, 722-yard rookie season back in 2017, between the drops and the injuries, maybe a change in scenery from New York to Jacksonville is what was needed. Between Ingram and Arnold, we'll have to see who earns Lawrence's trust early on. But they are both upgrades over guys like Chris Manhurts and Luke Farrell. And you know what? I think Evan Ingram could have a rejuvenating career here in Duval County. So if you're looking for a deep sleeper at the tight end position, and we know the tight end position is a crapshoot, Evan Ingram may be that guy. Jacksonville's defense last year was eh, average at best. They were 17th in passing yards allowed, 227, but that's a little bit misleading because game script often had the other teams running the ball down their throats. We're talking about 125.1 yards per game just to basically run out the clock. Only four teams allowed more points last year than the Jaguars, who allowed 26.9 per contest. So the Jags needed to add themselves some pieces defensively in the draft and in free agency. And in free agency, hey, they weren't afraid to spend some money and make it rain. They went out there and got a uh, foyer Olakun, and he got paid. When you need your defense to kind of absolutely ball out, you go and get yourself a guy who had 192 tackles from a season ago in Atlanta. Yes, 102 solo, 90 assistant. Then they infused a little bit of youth and talent via the draft. And Trayvon Walker there out of Georgia with that first overall selection, kind of pairing him with Josh Allen on the opposite side. Then adding to Olakun there, they drafted Devin Lloyd out of Utah and. Then they came back and they double tapped there at the linebacker position, getting Chad Mama. So out of Wyoming, this Jags defense, they could be a little bit better this year than they were a season ago. For the Tennessee Titans, times are changing in Tennessee. While the Titans are the defending AFC South champions, many have to wonder if the Colts left them way behind in the offseason. We know the Titans and this offense, what they were able to do a year ago, they finished 12 and 5, 5 and 1 in the division. They ran the ball. 2,404 yards, and that was without Derrick Henry, who missed nine games due to injury. They had a top 12 defense in terms of yards against, so why are we so down on them? Well, for starters, Ryan Tannehill, he is going to be without. One of the most prolific playmakers after A.J. Brown was dealt at the draft to the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, as far as the passing game is concerned, it really centers around the run game and Tannehill's efficiency with the ball. Even while the Titans stayed committed to the run in Henry's absence, Tannehill, he threw for 3,734 yards, 21 touchdowns, completing 67.2% of those attempts. Biggest thing to watch for, will Tannehill mentor a young Malik Willis? Willis needs another year or two of seasoning before he outright takes this job from Tannehill, which is probably the reason why we saw Willis fall in this past April's draft. When Seattle passes on you four times with just Geno Smith in tow, 
that has to say something, right? We know Willis is athletic. 1,822 rushing yards during two seasons at Liberty. That shows that. Can he develop into a passer? We'll have to see if he becomes a consistent passer throughout camp that we've seen quarterbacks such as Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts with similar skill sets develop into. Now, running back, this starts and finishes with Derrick Henry in this backfield. In eight games, he had 219 carries, 937 yards. In his last full season, all he did was rush for 2,027 yards and carry the ball 378 times. And even though Henry is getting older, I don't see the touches trending downward anytime soon. Although he did see his yards per carry essentially go from 5.4 in 2020 to 4.4 in 2021. And I have to wonder if seeing stack boxes and having five screws in that foot are going to limit him a little bit in 2022. Should something happen to Henry and we face a dilemma in which they need a running back, is it going to be Dontrell Hillard who ran 56 times for 350 yards and two touchdowns last season? Or is it going to be the rookie Hassan Haskins out of Michigan? Whoever gets that opportunity is going to be effective. If you're looking in your fantasy drafts as a fantasy manager for that pairing type system, Hassan Haskins could be that guy because if he gets that opportunity, look out. Now, Hillard was no slouch last season. He averaged 6.2 yards per carry, but he's never really been that guy, no matter where he's been. Now, Haskins, while unproven, he did bust out with 1,327 yards in Michigan last season in the Big Ten, and he averaged 5.1 yards per carry throughout college. You've also got a couple other running backs there, Trenton Cannon, Jordan Wilkins, nothing more than camp bodies. Apparently, when you ask what Brown can do for you in Tennessee, the answer is a first-round selection in return. When the Titans dealt Brown at the draft, which shocked the fantasy community, shocked the NFL world, especially after most were thinking that A.J. Brown, Robert Woods combination in Tennessee could have been what we all dreamed that the Julio Jones-A.J. Brown combination could have been. With that draft pick, though, but they recovered in the Brown deal. The Titans used it on an Arkansas wide receiver there, Traylon Burks, a big body pass catcher that can line up all over the field. We also know Burks lined up all over the place there in Arkansas, giving defenses different looks and different things considered. I mentioned Woods just a moment ago. He too can be moved all over the place. And he's more than willing to be a blocker in the run game. Heading into camp, it's going to be fun to imagine all the different alignments that Vrabel wants to use on offense He's not going to show us everything he's got during training camp or preseason. But, man, when you've got guys like Robert Woods who can jet sweep, Traylon Burks who can sit up in the backfield as a running back and split out, and, of course, Derrick Henry, you can definitely use that to your advantage. In three wide receiver sets, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, he's going to be there still. Kyle Phillips or Des Fitzpatrick. Can either one of these guys prove themselves in camp and kind of take over that wide receiver three role? Okay, so now I have to confess something. When Jonu Smith took the money and ran for New England. I thought Anthony Ferkster was going to be something. He was not. Now, I don't want to get in on the Austin Hooper bandwagon here because I am afraid to getting hurt again. Hooper got paid by the Brown a few seasons ago after back-to-back 600-yard years there. Cleveland was banking on a breakout in 2020 or 2021. Neither happened with Hooper's best season coming in 2020 in which he had 46 catches for 435 yards. That's not... Good. Behind Hooper, it's Jeff Swain. That's not a good option. So this has got to be an Austin Hooper type season, right? Now, even while finishing with a top 12 defense, the Titans will look to improve on that pass rush that consists of Jeffrey Simmons, Harold Landry, and Bud Dupree. Helping that defense was the addition of Zach Cunningham, who found his way coming over to Tennessee 
after four and a half seasons in Houston. Cunningham's presence and 55 tackles there in four games is what likely allowed the Titans to move on from Rashawn Evans. Another season in the NFL for Christian Fulton and Caleb Farley with the pass rush of the Titans possess can only mean good things on the back end, especially for all pro Kevin Baird. Now, with that all being said, this has been the training camp preview. We are glad that you stuck with us. I'm glad you caught all these videos and make sure to make, hit that like, hit that subscribe and make sure you are subscribing to fantasypoints.com using promo code Vipers22. We'll catch you later. Take care.